Okay, I am coming through. That's wonderful. I should say to Darian's story that I'm about to leave, so dream ended. Wake up. It's time to go to work. Um, but I am pleased to be here. I'm going to call somebody up to share something really simple, okay? So think about this while I introduce what I'll be talking about today. I want you to come up and just give a couple of minutes of the thing in life you love doing the most, okay? And it should be like, you know, Sunday morning appropriate style stuff. It shouldn't be like, you know, Call of Duty for 12 hours between 12 and 12. Like, if that's what it is, that's fine. There's no condemnation. But, but I want to invite somebody to come up to share about what they love, okay? So think about that. I'm going to share really quickly about what I love. Uh, I got to do two things that were my favorite things yesterday. We went camping, so that's not quite there of on the list, but it's there somewhere. And my family is definitely one of my favorite things, so that's good. Um, so I got to lay in a hammock. That's number one. That might be the best thing. Like, that's the best. If you don't like hammocks, you don't like feeling weightless. It's beautiful. And I got to eat something called a pig wing. Raise your, raise your hand if you know what a pig wing is. Okay. A couple of people, I saw them camping yesterday. So, doesn't count. Um, so pig wing is like a chicken wing, except it's pulled pork in the form of five chicken wing size of... It's like a huge chunk of pig on a stick, which is a bone that you gnaw off of it. But it's like a... It, anyways, I know a guy who has lots of pig wings, and uh, so Darren and I won't be working together because of some of the pig wing draw, and that's going to be okay. Um, so those are a couple of the things that I love. Who would like to come up and share with us something that they love? Any age, you can come on up. Somebody's got to do it. It's not hard to talk about the things that you love, right? You don't have to plan it. You don't have to consider it. Because it just flows right out of you. Okay, I need an adult to come up. If, if no kids are brave enough, I need an adult to come up and share right over here about something that they love. I'll even hold the microphone for you. Nobody? Nobody loves anything? You guys live sad, sad love. Oh, Donna. Okay, good. I thought COVID had sapped all of the love out of everyone. Okay. This is Donna. Yes. Go ahead, Donna. And probably everyone knows this already, but my favorite things to do are play games or sports with friends. That's just what I love to do. And do Board you think games, card games, any games? Would you say competitive? Would you say people know that about you? Is it pretty obvious? Those that know me know that that's what I love to do. Yes. Okay. Very good. Very good. We have one more. We're going to stop it at two because otherwise the floodgates are going to open. Because you all saw how fun it was. Go ahead. Hi, my name is uh, Delisha Reimer, and uh, I just got married uh, about two and a half months ago to my wonderful husband, who is back there, Abraham Wall. I love spending time with him and praising the Lord and praying with him. And I also love spending time with my daughter. She's the most wonderful part of my life right now. 
Fantastic. Let's give her a hand. Let's give her a hand. You know, for those of us that spend time at the front, we get so calloused about how hard it is to actually come up and say something that we forget that's a big ask. Okay, and so here's what I want to say today. It's actually quite a simple message. God wants us to take the thing that we love and he wants us to consider it. And he wants us to really own it. What is the thing that is dearest to me? And he wants us to hold it lightly. And understand that no matter what we hold dear in our lives. He's infinitely, infinitely better. And he wants to prove that over and over and over to you. So if I say that like Greg said. I believe that God is for me, or I don't, and I need to talk to God about that. I want you already to be thinking, even if it's at the sake of listening to what I'm saying, start that line of prayer with the Lord, where you're asking Him, God, where do you really fit in the affections of my heart? And what would be the appropriate price that I would pay if I needed to pay Anything to gain you. Because our heart is made to hold things dearly. Dearly, dearly, dearly. Our family, our friends, our work, our relationships, our finances, our our materials, our homes, our yards. We love all of these things. And sometimes as Christians... We look at a verse like this and we say, boy, God wants to give us, give, God wants to ask us to give up a lot for him. It's, it's, it's kind of hard. I got to give up all that for the Lord. And that's where the conversation stops. And we live a bit like Christian martyrs saying, oh, it's so hard dying for Christ every day. I got to die for Christ every day. It's so hard. I'm a martyr. I'm a walking martyr. I've got to give this up. People are partying. They're doing this. They're doing that. They're watching this. They're staying up here. They're hanging out with those people. They're going to those movies. It's so hard. It's so hard to be a believer. And, and that's where we end the conversation. And all throughout the Bible, the message is, yes, but Jesus is infinitely better. He's infinitely more satisfying. He's infinitely more pleasurable. Do you think that you serve a God who is pleasurable? Or is that only something that the world can do for you? Can you get pleasure from God? You guys don't even like me saying the word pleasure. Pleasure. Our God is full of it. He's full of it. You just poke him and it squirts out everywhere at you. And he wants to do that. He is a God who wants us to be infinitely satisfied in him. Not just peace. I have peace in my heart. It's all good. I can walk around. I can go through storms. I have peace. Very good. Yes, yes, yes. He wants us to be excited and fulfilled. 
He wants our greatest source of bliss and love and joy and passion to come from His hands. So much so that He says, if, if, if you knew what I was offering you, if you knew what entailed in the kingdom that I have for you, where I'm your faithful ruler, and I've given everything to do that, if you knew, you would look at everything that you had to give, and it would be the steal of a deal of a steal that you've ever did. I can't believe this is buying me God. So he says this in Matthew 13. And Matthew is chalked full of this saying, which I'll, which I'll get into in a second. Says this, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his, sorry, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. That's in Matthew 13. And the language of kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, God's kingdom, heavenly kingdom, shows up 50 times in the book of Matthew. 52, I think it is. And 32 of them are referring to the kingdom of heaven. Often out of the words right out of Jesus. And he's wanting people to be excited about this kingdom. He's wanting to have people feel the invitation, the draw, the thing that I have for you, the reason that I came, the thing that John the Baptist said, get ready because the kingdom of heaven is upon you when John the Baptist spoke. That was in Matthew 3. Matthew 4, Jesus says, the reason that I have came is to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is upon you. It's now... It's not simply in eternity. And all throughout the pages of the Bible, the kingdom of heaven is, it's this concept of God not giving up on a people that had completely turned their back on him. It was an eternal concept that he always had. There was no plan B for Jesus to come. God didn't have to scramble when Adam and Eve made a mess of it. And say, okay, i got to cook up something good here because the sin came in. It totally took a left turn there. wasn't expecting it. So i got to get the Trinity together. And we got to speak about, okay, how are we going to respond to this sin problem? And these are things that are hard to understand. But in God, there was always man. There was always sin. There was always Opposition, and there was always Jesus coming to make all of those things right to those who would believe. Jesus was sent. He obediently came. He came fully human while fully God, which is the craziest thing of all time, and it doesn't make it less true. And he came to ransom a whole people that up to then had been in complete rebellion to him. He came to obediently live and die and rise again and intercede on our behalf in heaven after he went up to heaven he sent us his Holy Spirit to give us the joy and the peace and the righteousness the thing that Jesus bought for us and all of this is what the Bible says is the kingdom of heaven God saying I am your king 
You are my people. Now let me show you how important and how true that is. God didn't just throw his weight around. He was wanting to show how critical he thought of us. And how infinitely satisfying he could be in us. And Jesus wanted everybody to know this kingdom is worth everything you might have to give. Anything you might have to give. If you can cook up something that you might have to give to get this, it's completely worth it. And this might be the most important thing we ever know about God. Is that whatever he asks us to give up. Whatever we might have to lay down. Sometimes for a season. Sometimes forever. God's plan is not that we would feel like martyrs. Grumbling and gritting our teeth about how hard it is. But he would want us, like this man in the passage here, to think, I just got the best deal that there ever was. I can't believe nobody else found this. And all I have to give up is all the possessions I have. And I get the treasure. I get the treasure, which is the kingdom of God. That's incredible. What's amazing is that as much as this passage, it wants to show us It doesn't matter what God asks of you. He's better. He's more beautiful than anything you might have to dig out of your garden. He's more satisfying than any food you could ever make. He's more interesting than any movie you could ever watch. He's funnier than the best joke you ever heard. And you don't even have to feel bad about it. Right? All of these things. Everything that the world throws at us. That is pleasure. That is satisfaction. If they're not rooted in God, they are a cheap, cheap substitute. And they want us to be satisfied on the skin level. The world can only touch the surface. And that's why we feel so empty in sin. Because it doesn't get deep enough. We can spend hours on ourselves in the world... And be just as starving as we were before. Except far more frustrated that the thing I ran to gave me nothing. And yet God is saying, I've created you to find me and hold me and squeeze and expect. And to take everything that your heart and your soul could ever need from anything, any person, any place, any situation, any job. And I've made you that I could enjoy, fill these things. Yet this is the beauty. It says, just want to go back to the verse again. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all that he had, all that he had and bought that field. That is some crazy font. Um. Pretty good up there. I just look back there. So, we're not like this man. That's the beautiful thing. How much have you paid in your possessions to obtain Jesus? 
I'm not asking how much you've paid because of Jesus. How much did you have to pay for God to grab your heart when you wanted nothing to do with him and to hold your face and to cause your eyes to gaze at him like you had for the very first time in a way and in a place that everything changed in the moment. You don't know why. You don't know how. All you know is that now I'm different. Now the stories that I heard growing up aren't stories anymore. They're a window. They're a a look into this God that really loves me and is really for me. How much did you pay for that? That experience, that encounter with the Lord where you said, well, shoot, now everything's changed. I I love to tell this story, but when I left the counselor's office, I went to a counselor. um, I went to a pastor who was a counselor in town here when I was unsaved and and had a good grocery list of sins that were going on. And I went to a pastor because I thought, he's not going to charge me for uh, counseling. And then Tim Ryan, that guy, he just, just swung it in the direction that he wanted. And I encountered God. I don't even know how I fell into it. It just like happened. And I walked out of that office, out of that big Southland house house of God and I was kind of like okay I don't know how to do life anymore I was changed I didn't I didn't look at things the same I didn't think about things the same I didn't feel the same and I believe that many of us many of us have had this encounter God wants to give you an encounter with him where there's no doubt about what happened. There's no doubt. I heard people talk. There was talk. Greg was talking this week. We're just throwing all our laundry out. Uh, Darren, and then now I'm going to do it to Greg. And he was talking this week about uh, the power of dreams. And how dreams come... Often prophetic dreams come before the situation that God wants to put you into. And they're there sometimes to push you forward. And sometimes for you to look back to. Is that right? Pretty close? Ad-libbing a little bit? Right? So God gives you a dream for something and you're like, that was kind of random, but I feel like it was the Lord. I should try and remember that. But then he wants you to look back when you, when you actually walk into that situation. He wants you to look back and say, okay, God was talking to me back then. He was telling me about this. I don't have to freak out now. I can feel safe. I can feel like God has brought me to this place. He's already seen it. He's already spoken to me about it. And just like God can do that in our dreams, God wants to give us a conversion that when life gets hard, when we have doubts about ourself, about our God, about our salvation, hey, we've had 18 months of doubts and fears and too much of our own thoughts and too much of our own worries and anxieties. 
Too much of life beating us down. These 18 months have been hard. Like hard. For everybody. Everybody. Nobody has gotten through this unscathed. And yet when all of life is circling around you. And it's hit after hit after hit. The very thing that Jesus invites us. To sell all of our possessions to get. And be way ahead at the end of the game. We can look back and say. I truly was an adopted son or daughter. Of the king who's still in charge of his universe. You can look back to that salvation. I encourage you to think about your salvation. Salvation isn't a big a big concept it's a heart change it says in romans 10 this is this this is kind of the picture of salvation romans 10 verse 9 because if you confess with your mouth that jesus is lord and believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead you will be saved they're small words but they're powerful because they're said with the heart They're said with the part of us that the world can't touch and satisfy. It's a heart cry. God wants to save us to the very depths of our souls. This is what Paul knew. Paul knew about the treasure in heaven. Paul knew about the treasure in heaven. And we know Paul as somebody who who has suffered a lot. Right? He could write a few books on suffering. Well, or most of the New Testament worth, I suppose. But Paul knew about suffering. He knew about the cost of being a believer. And yet Paul has these wonderful words in Philippians 3. One of his most cheerful letters to one of his most prideful fellowships in, the, in Philippi. It's a positive letter. It's a leather just that's glowing with gladness, thankfulness, and encouragement. And he says this in Philippians 3. We know this one well. He gloats. Straight up. I don't know what the Greek word is for gloats. Or if they had something similar back then. But he's straight up gloating. Right? He's, he's flexing a little bit. He's puffing himself up. He's saying in verse 4 of chapter 3, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. He's dealing with false teachers here who had a lot of confidence in their words. If anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Now, Paul was gloating, but he's not a fibber. He's not a truth bender. He was telling the truth about all those things. At the point of God's, of the conversion in Paul's heart, in the flesh, he was living the Mediterranean dream. It was... As high as you could go. He was even a Roman citizen for that matter. Which is like. That's just doubling down on how good your life could be. 
back then when Paul lived. He had it set. He had a trust fund. He had a good job. He could speak English and French. He had dual citizenship. He was set. And Paul's words are telling. Because Paul's words are living out this parable. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. What Paul is saying here is not, guys, boy, did I lose a lot. I had to give it all up. It was so hard. Being a Christian is so hard. You've got to grind it out. Right? God sends you to all these difficult places. That's, that wasn't what Paul was saying. He's saying everything that I had to give up was nothing. Didn't matter. Why? For the sake of Christ, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He's saying, I'm part of the kingdom. I got the kingdom. And all it cost me were were these superficial things that I had to give up. That was the only price. And they don't even mean anything because here I am sitting in the kingdom of God. Full of the Lord, full of his spirit. And it was totally worth it. I would do it all over again. If, 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 If you can hear one thing today. It's, it's God does not want you to feel sad or low or pitiful for your Christian walk. The Christian walk is not just duty. And I'm sorry to everyone that I may have shown that to in my six or seven years that I was here. And I'm starting to see a glimpse that ministry, that life is found in the fullness and the full affection of God. It's the feelings. We're afraid of feelings. Pastor, don't touch my feelings. Don't you manipulate me. Worship team, don't you manipulate me. This ain't about feelings. Okay? My faith isn't about feelings. What do you think your feelings were created for? Your feelings are the strings that Jesus plays his love songs over and over you with. Or something musical like that. I'm going into uncharted waters as soon as I say strings and okay, but God is not wanting foot soldiers whose life is duty and strain and sweat. He's wanting worship leaders that also have to fight sometimes but are fully immersed and fully satisfied and fully engrossed by the love and satisfaction and peace and long-suffering but joy and pleasure and satisfaction. Compelling? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. This is where it gets challenging. Because I think most of us know this. Most of us know 
God's pretty great. The Bible tells us. God's pretty awesome. He's pretty satisfying. He's pretty loving. Maybe not always for me, but especially for that person over there that prays a lot. Or that is always up there doing announcements. God loves them. And he's okay with me. We know this very well. Our experience is often on the duty side, the work side, the strain side. And every time that we just think at what we've lost, what we've given up, how we're suffering for the Lord and, and our, our pleasure should come from that. Sometimes the pleasure we receive from serving the Lord is feeling like we've done a good job. And that's not true pleasure in the Lord. If the only pat on the back you're getting from God is because you've done something for him. That's a transaction. God wants to lovingly pour out his love on us. His deep affection on us. For zero reasons than that he is absolutely chock full of them for our sake. He doesn't want us to work so that we would grow in his love. He wants to love us so deeply that we can't help but do things for him. You become maniacal for the Lord when you're full of his love. You're driven by a totally different need. And it's not a need anymore. It's an overflowing of the grace of God. And now you're gracious and loving and patient and joy-filled. And blessed out of your socks the whole time. Because God is lavishing his love upon you. This is a great verse. We know it well. In Psalm 16. But we need to know this. Even if it's just a glimpse. That we can run towards. Verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's right from Psalms. Pleasures forevermore. In the right hand. The right hand symbolizes a place of strength. It symbolizes a place of readiness. Right? If I have, uh, shoot, I don't know, a pig wing in my hand, in my right hand, I'm getting ready to use this thing, right? Either to give it to one of you, maybe, or probably to consume it in front of you, probably, okay? But that's a place of readiness. It's a place of strength. And he's not holding two hands. God is so full of pleasure and love and grace for us that he only needs to have one hand to carry. I want to read something from my phone here. This might look a little scandalous, but just from a commentary. Don't worry. I, I love how they explain this verse, verse 11. In thy presence is fullness of joy. Literally, literally, Satiety of joy. Enough 
and more than enough to satisfy the extremist cravings of the human heart. Are you a little bit appetized yet? Are you, are you craving a little bit yet the goodness of God, the pleasure of God? At thy right hand, rather in thy right hand, ready for bestowal on the saints. He's just waiting to pour it out on us. Our pleasures forevermore. An inexhaustible store which may be drawn upon forever. That sounds really good. This is our God. This is our God. This is how Paul can say and Jesus can say and the parables can say that it doesn't matter what you have to do to get into his kingdom. And because of grace, it's not very much. You're never going to be disappointed. Jeremiah as well, just to double down on these things. I know that these things we think of, we don't always feel. We know this verse really well. And I just want to read a little further in Jeremiah 29. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. We know that one. Verse 12. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I will hear you. He's laying it out. He's laying out Psalm 16. He's laying out Matthew 13. He's laying out the Beatitudes. He's laying out the kingdom of heaven. This thing that's worth every cost. How much have you paid? How much have we paid for the Lord? How much have you received? How much have we received? And why? Why the deficit? Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. And I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Originally, he was saying this to a people that for generations, generations had been consumed and satisfied and ran to, in war times, everything else but God. And eventually he had to send them to exile. But even then, even that angry God in the Old Testament that we seem to think always had a plan to bring them back. He was never totally done. His intention was always, always to fully satisfy them. So what's the formula? Just get to the formula. Okay, you've talked about theology. Very good. You read some passages. Awesome. Thanks for doing that. Now, how do I actually get a satisfying, pleasurable relationship with the Lord? And that I can't completely answer for you. And nor do I need to. Because the invitation in Jeremiah is the invitation that God made good on in sending Jesus. 
Step one, if we don't know Jesus and we're hoping God will be the thing that maybe will fill the hole that nothing else has touched. If we don't know Jesus, that's step one. And, and you can find him today. I promise you, you can find him today. If you call out to him, if you tell him, God, I've made a mess of my life. I've gone down all the wrong roads. And I'm empty and I'm dissatisfied and I'm angry that there's nothing worthwhile in the world for me. God can change that in an instant. And there's a frustrating part of walking it out later. He can change that today. And you can call on his name. God, save me. Show me who Jesus is. Introduce me into this treasure. This kingdom that I'm hearing about. I want all the love and acceptance and safety of the kingdom. I don't know how to get it. You can ask him and he will, he will answer your call today. He will answer your call, I promise you. For those of us that know Jesus, but feel like the, the furnace is just cool. Maybe the ducting, there's something in the ducting that's not quite right. Maybe something crawled in there and, you know, didn't crawl out and it's taking up a lot of space and then dust. You know, there's a clog. Let's just leave it at that. The furnace is hot, but the pipes aren't sending it where it needs to go. That's confession. If we're not feeling the passion of God, the love of Him, if we're feeling disconnected from Jesus today, sin is a great place to start. And you can confess to Him There's no condemnation when you do that to him. You just honestly and humbly say, God, this is where I've failed you. And I'm grieved and I need you to heal me. And I need you to help me and I need you to cleanse me. Because I want the fullness. I want the treasure inside of me that's worth any and every cost that it might. I want the treasure that supersedes every hard life environment. And life is hard. And it's not going away. There's always going to be sickness and pain and family strife. But we can be full of the thing that money cannot buy. The world cannot satisfy. And by grace, in faith, through the Holy Spirit, it's available to all of us. Every minute of every day. For those of us that it's not sin and it's not even Not knowing Jesus is the Savior. Perhaps we're just not going after Him. And this going after Him can feel like work to people. I get it, Matt. You you, you, you were talking a lot of grace over there. But you had to add a little work in here. I know your ammo. And hey, hey, yeah, yeah, totally. Okay? But God, through His goodness... Wants to draw us into himself. And he just asks for a willing heart. God I want to find you. I want to find you in your scriptures. I read them. 
their words. They're just words. And I, I know there's so much more, but, but my experience is that they're just words. The songs, they don't, they don't connect with me. The beat's all off. That person made that mistake on the big, long guitar. I think it's called the bass. I'm just kidding. I know what a bass is. But like, right? It, I can't connect. I, I, I see everybody's hands up and I just, I don't know what they're doing. It doesn't even make sense to me. I can't get excited when I pray to you. I, I just feel like I want to fall asleep. I feel like my words, they just, they just don't go anywhere. Nobody's listening to me. Cry out to God. What does Jeremiah say? For those who seek me, who really seek me. And, and sorry, but, but that part is on us to do. We have to seek the Lord. If you're feeling low today, if you're feeling less than satisfied, if you're feeling dry in the Lord, if you're feeling like the world has beat you down and the circumstances have taken away your fire, God is simply inviting you, seek me, come and find me, I want to be found by you. He gives us his spirit so that we can constantly find him. It's that beacon back. And it's always, always available for us. So I'm going to get the band to come up. And I I just want to give us an invitation. Nobody, no speaker, no bandmate, not even the best worship team, which we have. Can raise your affections for God. Nobody is responsible. For your vision of the treasure. Which is the kingdom of heaven. That you have by grace. Totally available to you today. If your Christian walk is duty. You're missing out. And it's not what God intended. God did not intend for you to sweat your way to heaven. He didn't intend for that. He intended for you to dance your way to heaven. Or, you know, bob around like that. Alright? It's totally different. So I just would invite us, as the worship team plays, I would invite us. What conversation do you need to have with the Lord as we worship, as we end? Is it a situation of belief? Call on his name. It doesn't matter what words you use. If you don't know him, call on his name. Jesus, I need you to be real to me. Show me, show me the rest after that. God will hear that prayer. I promise you. If it's sin, just freely confess. This is what's holding me back. I'm not, I'm not willing to hold that anymore. If it's offense, let it go. God wants to give you everything that you could never buy. And have always wanted. Nothing is worth that. And we receive it by grace. Seek him. Let's pray before the, the band. Father, I ask that wherever we're at today. 
If our experience has not been that you are a loving, attentive, affectionate, passionate father who wants to fill us and satisfy us and overjoy us. Not simply because you're a button that we can press and we get our favorite soft drink out of the machine. But because everything that you call us to in the Christian life is meant to be rooted completely in love and affection and passion for Jesus. I thank you that this is a free gift. But you ask us to step in your direction. To be willing. To be open. Would you show us God? And if it's something I haven't mentioned. Would you show us all the more? What is keeping us from knowing you. In the depth. And the joy. And the satisfaction. That you've made us for. We are made to be completely consumed by you. Would you show us and help us that we would grow more and more in love with you today? Because you're worthy. You're so good. Amen.